right, we're rolling. All right, All right. ready? Five, four. Hey, I'm Zach. Hi, I'm David, and welcome to the first episode of Square One. Welcome to Square One. Uh, so Square One is our show about political engagement at the local level, uh, beyond what you get to see on the 24-hour news cycle or scrolling through your feed on Twitter. So what we're trying to do is we are hoping to elevate the voices of local progressive activists and kind of introduce folks to political engagement that is being carried out by um, others here in our community. And since we're millennials, <laughs> yeah, since we're millennials, we decided to do what nobody else does. We're making a podcast. Woo! Yeah. Podcast. Podcast. Nobody does that these I days. I heard those things are the future or something. That's what my mom said. <laughs> Basically, each show will focus on a specific topic, provide a foundational framing for the day's issue, and highlight an activist or organizer involved in that specific line of work. Um, so we'll also try to provide some specific calls to action on how to get involved and uh, some resources for those who are interested in learning more. So for our first episode, we decided to look at political parties. And specifically, we wanted to look at local political parties, uh, you know, the, the folks in our neighborhoods who are actually going to knock on your door and talk to you and try to get you to either sign a petition or go volunteer for a cause or remember to go out and vote and, uh, you know, yeah, so for this first episode, we really wanted to um, look at political parties at the human level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, not just, you know, national soap opera, but people in your neighborhood who care about something enough to try to go out and get people together to change it. Our first interview is with uh, a guy named Dave Kybe. Dave is a local progressive activist in Washington, D.C., and he's a researcher at American University. I spoke with Dave at the Safeway in Petworth, which it turns out not the best sound <laughs> environment. Yeah, uh, you will uh, get to know quite quickly that we are at the Safeway, so yeah. our apologies. Uh, we are learning. Dave, Dave really helped us figure out uh, what we talk about when we talk about political parties and how to think about the role they play in American politics today. Yep, and without uh, spoiling too much more, here is my conversation with Dave. You know, just like a really basic level, like what is a political party? Um, I'm not sure it's the answer is simple, and even if you're looking at a particular time frame, it's not that simple. So the classic political science definition comes from V.O. Key, and it's that it's essentially three interlocking things. It's the party in the electorate, party in government, and party as organizations. So, you know, Democratic and Republican voters, uh, the uh, the leader, you know, the president um, would be the leader of a party as well as the speaker of the house and the majority leaders and all those sorts of things and all the members are s sorted into those. And then the party's organization would be things like the RNC, the DNC, the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, all those sorts of things um, down the state and local levels as well. Um, so even then, you're, you know, talking about like a particular period, United States context, you're still like a pretty complex bunch of things that don't easily fit together. So what about um, what about the local party then? You know, yeah. like what about like these? You know, I've been to local party meetings. It's like you know, it's just like 10, 10 people. What what do they have in terms of influence? And like how does like what how does what they do? What happens at that level translate? You know, up the pipe. Sure. You know, to, to, to systems and such. So the the most helpful framing I have for this comes from a political scientist named Marjorie Hershey, um, and. 
so which she refers to, um, talks about parties as we might think of them as a hierarchy, but that's actually not really exactly right. That she says instead it's a system of layers of organization. And so what that means is, is that you have local level parties, sometimes you have county level, state level parties, um, and then you have the, a couple different organizations that make up the national parties. And technically, or say formally, each of those levels tends to be constituted by the level below it. Mm -hmm. So the, the membership of the uh, Democratic National um, Committee and the Republican National Committee are um, elected by, uh, for the most part, the state parties. Okay? Um, state parties tend to be, um, and th but there's a lot of variation, a product of the local parties. Um, the reason why I have to use a lot of hedges here is because in the United States context, much more than anywhere else, party structures and rules are often um, determined by state laws. So they're not just left for parties to decide on their own for the most part. Um, so it's kind of an interaction of this, the, uh, the state rules and the party rules. Um, the state rules have a really big impact. So that means that there are some places where everything is the one level voting for the next level up. In other places, um, you might have, for example, when you have a, a primary, um, you might also be voting for people that are going to represent you in the local or, or state party as well. So say you're like a 19-year-old Sanders supporter. Where do you think that that person, you know, tomorrow could make the most impact on whatever they view as, you know, a corrupt or insufficient system? So I think the a couple things to think about. And one is that um, when we're thinking about how parties operate, there's kind of the routine situation, um, and then there's also extraordinary situations. So a lot of times, one unfortunate things that happens in political science, social science, is that people look at the typical, they look at the routine, and they treat that as the reality. Well, that's the way it has to be. Um, the reality is, I think, you have routines, and then you have kind of punctures in those routines. And so things can look very differently at one moment for another. And so when you're thinking about, say, your 19-year-old, one of the biggest questions is not just where that individual can do things, but where there's going to be enough people to do a thing that can do things. So you were describing before local parties oftentimes being like there's a handful of people in a room. Um, there are places in the country right now where local party meetings are being flooded with people the same way that like Democratic Socialist America is experiencing that. Um, I don't think they're experiencing that in all sorts of places, but I think there are places. Um, there are other places where a lot of the energy is external. So in some ways, your best move is going to depend on what other people are ready to do. The other thing to think about is um, there's a couple different issues here. And one is um, trying to influence who gets nominations and therefore who gets um, into elected positions, right? That's one big thing. Um, there's a way, many people talk about politics as if the only way that voters kind of have an influence, that regular people have an influence, is that they influence nominations and then they influence who wins offices and then power flows from that. So this is this notion of like... Um, power the, to the people sort of thing. Well, and it's a very formal thing. Yeah. It's like my role as a citizen is to vote and so I voted for someone, now they hold office, therefore they have power. Um, 
I think it's interesting to see in the wake of the, this past election to see people really kind of doubling down on that understanding of politics because as I look at the last eight years, I think it's a really good example of ways that formal power did not translate into real power. People, you say Democrat, people think Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Tim yeah. Kaine. Well, they also think, you know, guys who sign really big checks. Yeah. And, you know, in a way that, no, you know, that it's hard to dissociate these things. What's going on there? Is that, is that new? Has it always been like that? So uh, the, the person that I look to on this question is Thomas Ferguson. So Thomas Ferguson wrote this book called The Golden Rule, and it's, um, his is a, an investment theory of politics. Um, and his notion is that um, instead of looking at voters as the prime movers, that really donors are the prime movers. And so, um, so he says, you know, essentially donors get to set the, the distribution of opinion of donors gets to set the boundaries of the ideas and the policies that can get any traction. And so even if a, uh, a policy would be super popular, um, that a candidate is not going to adopt it if they know that donors will uniformly oppose them or largely oppose them if they were to them adopt it. So donors kind of set the, the boundaries of what's possible in that sense. A lot of times the way people think of it is, is like, well, Voters are the driving force, but sometimes the wealthy inter like interferes with that. So the way people talk about Citizens United is like that. So people will kind of say, well, it's almost implicit. Like before Citizens United, the people got what they wanted, but now the power of money. Um, but money influenced things all along. What I would think of is that uh, in some ways it's almost the reverse, that the, the donors and the big interests are the driving forces, um, and they get away what they can get away with that the voters will let them get away with. Um, and so the distortion in the system um, is actually the, the public, not the money. The money is the normal kind of driver of the system. So now that now that we live in this place, Citizens United world, where there's like big money, you know, there's, it's hard for people to compete with that. But at the same time, do you think that now this this like distributed open system of finance that Bernie Sanders, you know, took advantage of, and Howard Dean, John Kerry, and Barack Obama. Do you think that could open things up to having the local party be more of a more of a force than it was during the seventies and eighties? Um, it it, can, it could. the The real challenge with these sort of things is that um, the the higher level you are, the easier it is to kind of generate a lot of excitement. And a lot of our, I mean, part of this just comes from the way the media coverage is, um, where um, so much more attention is paid to presidential politics than to any other level of politics. One of the things that frustrates me is if you look at um, primaries at um, the, you know, for Senate, for Governor, for um, House of Representatives, um, they often don't get covered until like pretty much the last minute. Um, my favorite example is in Kentucky, um, local races too, like general elections in Kentucky where there was the race, the governor's race that was going to um, heavily determine the fate of their kind of um, local level uh, version of Obamacare. Um, and there was a whole lot of media coverage about it from kind of lefty or leaning, you know, MSNBC, that type of thing, um, news that started the day after the election. Like the day after, anyone can do anything about it. In the Maryland Senate primary, um, where you had kind of a, an institutional Democrat and somebody who was associated with a more ins the insurgent type of politics, even though they were both kind of moving up from that, trying to move up from the House. Um, 
it started to get attention around like a week before the election. Um, and so I think these things are related. So some of it is, is that there's not as much um, action, so there's not as much coverage, but there's also not as much action because there's not as much coverage. Um, these things kind of go together. One of the challenges at the local level is that um, it's, I think issues are the thing that draw, well, it's branding and issues that draw energy into these sort of things. So um, the Obama campaign, I think, was around branding. Um, as much as certainly, you know, he was running on doing something about healthcare, he was running doing, doing something about the war in Iraq. Um, the, the foreground of his campaign in 2008 was much more about change and about him as a, as a figure. Um, Bernie Sanders had some of that, um, but also um, was focusing on things like free college as a thing that it can excite people. Either of those things can excite people and there tends to be some overlap. The local party, it's, it's much harder to do that sort of thing. It's not impossible but it is difficult. As I think about the sort of issues that could generate that sort of excitement, I have difficulty imagining one that could generate like a lot of excitement that same sort of way, that is something you have leverage for at the local level. If you think about the things that people are thinking about at the local level, it's you know paid fam family medical leave, which is a great issue, but I'm not sure it can generate that same level of excitement, as opposed to, say, single-payer healthcare, which could, and I think is a really important thing to organize around, but is not one that you can, you know, you can organize locally, but you can't, I'm not sure you can do it through local parties, because local parties just aren't gonna have leverage over those sorts of things. What can, what can people do with the people around them, with their local, you know, their, with their buddies, with their activist groups, their protest groups, their local parties? What can they do to change the direction of this, of the national parties, of these huge, like, cumbersome systems of, you know, governance? So, I do think that there are some opportunities to do that at the local level. Um, I, I do, but I also tend to think that they're less through formal party channels. If you're looking at influencing the national agenda, then they are through kind of non-party moves. So I was thinking about things that have recently kind of um, shifted the agenda. And I would say there are things like Occupy, which was able to get the issue of income inequality much more talked about. Um, even to the point of Republicans talking about even if they wanted to solve it with things like tax cuts. Um, Black Lives Matter has shifted the conversation even if a lot of the policy proposals that have come out of that have tended to be very narrow and kind of status quo reinforcing, although now we have the new um, agenda, and so we'll see what sort of impact that has. Fight for 15, right? Um, heavily supported by SEIU, the union, which also does a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of electoral work. Um, but that has been something that's been able to um, make gains on this particular issue and change, uh, change kind of the sort of things we're talking about and the sort of policies that get considered, in the, like the breadth of those sort of things. And the last one I would think of is marriage equality, where, again, that happened largely outside of electoral politics. Um, not un none of these are unconnected to electoral politics, but the, the energy was outside of them. Um, so, but there are also, I think, local level issues that can be done the same way, and I think the trick with those is, is it's, um, it's neither inside nor outside, but both. Um, and so I don't have a lot of faith that you can just go in, take over a party, and affect the agenda at the next level up. 
You can to some extent at the, your level, but again, even if you take over a local party, you're not gonna control nominations. So there's a limit to how much that gets you. But um, if you also have pressure coming from the outside, that's where I think you can move things uh, a great deal. Really. So you gotta play the inside game, you gotta play the outside game. You need, you need that formal electoral power, you also need that kind of vague electoral people power, movement power. And they won't necessarily all be done by the same people, and that's okay too. I personally, sometimes these people dislike each other and find what their work is intention. I personally think that you know different people are going to do different things, and that's fine. Um, and we're better off if we kind of accept that um, and try and. There's all the biggest factor in politics is is slack. That most people aren't engaged, or if they're engaged, they're only engaged a little bit. And so people that talk a lot about politics spend a lot of time arguing with other people who have really strong opinions about how they should do things differently instead of going out and reaching out to people who aren't engaged and being like, hey, why don't you join me? I think that's way more productive um, and doesn't require uh, those different groups to be fighting, which tends to be pretty unproductive. Is there anything else you want to share that we didn't cover? You know, just like something that's really some burning... So, the, I mean, the one thing I would say is, and I've kind of touched on it, is I think one of the things that I've been saying a lot is that the, the dominant model people have for thinking about politics is kind of the public wants a thing and candidates are forced because they're constantly trying to get the most votes possible to figure out all the things the public wants and make sure to give it to them. Um, and then when that doesn't happen, that seems as like, oh, there's, there's just some kind of kink in the system, but that's the presumption. Only that happens all the time. There are all sorts of things that people would like to see that would be great issues that never happen. You'll see both parties push things that are unpopular. And so we need to reject that model that says the public is the driving force. Um, they're not. The flip side is oftentimes when people reject that, they th imagine that the money power has total control. So, you know, Citizens United is a great example. People say, until we get rid of Citizens United, we can't do anything. But if that's true, we can't do anything because they're talking about a constitutional amendment, the absolute hardest thing in American politics. So if you're saying we can't win small stuff unless we get a constitutional amendment, you're saying we can't win anything. I think the reality is, is that money power matters, um, that elites have a tremendous amount of power, and that on a day-to-day -day basis, they tend to be driving in the system. That doesn't mean that regular people can't influence things. They influence it through disrupting these routines, and there's nothing automatic about it. And that also is not something that can be sustained. It's something that you can do, you're gonna pick up some gains, and then you're gonna lose, and you're gonna build it again. But those kind of, the myth of democracy versus the myth of money wins all are really unhelpful ways of thinking of things, and we would be much better to just reject that and find a somewhat depressing but realistic understanding of politics. Uh, Mindhead by Puff Pieces from their 2016 album Bland in DC. 
Uh, Puff Pieces is a three-piece punk band based out of D.C. with a strong history of local activism. If you like that song, you can find out more about them on Facebook, and you can also purchase their awesome music on Bandcamp. Our second interview today is with Kip Melanowski. Kip is a middle school civics teacher, and he's the chair of the Arlington County Democratic Committee. And he's played a very active role in Northern Virginia and, I guess, Virginia politics for over a decade now. Yeah, so uh, I sat down with Kip at a Busboys and Poets in Sherlington, basically to find out what the work of a local party looks like. So I guess where we wanted to start is just in, uh, it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, in your eyes, what is the Democratic Party writ large? And then uh, what is the Arlington Democratic Party? How are the, and how are those different? Sure. So, I mean, the Democratic Party uh, writ large is, of course, the uh, political party that um, I think represents uh, the working class and the middle class and um, believes that the government should promote the general welfare. Um, and we are organized, of course, all over the country, and of course we're organized locally. And you know, our job fundamentally is to recruit candidates that share um, democratic, progressive values, and to make sure we do everything we can to help um, uh, elect these candidates, and make sure that uh, then we um, uh, that we win we win office, and that we call the other side uh, and hold the other side accountable. Looking around on the Arlington County Democratic Committee website, so you guys define yourself as an inclusive community dedicated to honest, effective government government that works for all people, invests wisely in our future, and protects everyone's rights. And what really struck me about that, um, it's it's kind of language that sounds more like a, like a nonpartisan good governance group than what I think most people think about of kind of the partisan mudslinging that we associate with political parties and uh, elections specifically, right? I think when people think about political parties, they think about elections and electoral politics. So I'm kind of curious in how you you would define that differently. Yeah. yeah let me just say that you know negative politics, of course, gets the most uh, attention. I assume during this campaign you might have heard something about emails. Um, <laughs> the thing is, um, there's a lot of politics that doesn't get reported, though, that is really good government. Um, and I think it's a it's a real shame that so often people associate politics, even the word politics, as negative, as derogatory. Uh, where I think there is really something powerful about being about people committed to their community being involved in it. And yes, it's true that politicians do tell lies sometimes, but not all, not most, and not most of them most of the time. Um, and I think that being involved, um, you, you know, one does see a lot of uh, good public service come out of these uh, come out of these values. And I think political parties. Um, are a good way to do that, but especially the Democratic Party uh, in these um, the last few decades. So the reason why we're talking to you um, is because you are the party chair of a local, you know, uh, the Arlington County Democrats, and we're really interested in that role as the Democratic Party at the local level. Sure. So, so maybe can you talk a little bit more about what you guys do at the local level, sure. like like on a very practical, like basic level? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the key things that um, parties must do is that we uh, nominate candidates. And so um, this, this year we nominate and endorse candidates. So we had, uh, in 2016, we endorsed two school board members. Uh, we had a Democratic primary where, um, during a primary, the party's role really is just I, I get the signatures, the petition signatures for the candidates to make sure that their, their filing is in order. But then I see it as my role to stay out of the primary process. So between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, I stayed out. I did not endorse anyone. I, did not, I made sure that party resources were made equally available. 
Uh, but once our party, once we have our nominees in June that our ticket is sent, what we do is we make sure at a local level that we um, coordinate with the national party, which is then done through the state party, um, that there's nine organizers that come in to go and knock doors, and we work with them to make sure that they have um, literature that has our school board candidates, our county board candidate, our congressional candidate, and of course the president and vice president of the United States are all those nominees on it as well. So that's on the one side of the script card and on the back side we have all the voter information. Because as a local party we take our role very seriously in educating the electorate, educating voters about when can they vote early, what type of ID do they need, are they registered to vote, do they know where to vote, do they need a ride to vote. All of that information, we see it as our essential role to get that out through tens of thousands of grip cards, through tens of thousands of additional lit, we call it our Democratic Messenger, and then through um, additional mailings and, of course, on our website and through social media. So at this point, you know, what are you, what are you doing to, to bring people into the party or, or into the fold of the local political uh, party now that you, you're not, like, directly focusing on, you know, get to, get to the polls in November? Um, it's a great question. So one thing that we are doing, first of all, we make our um, meetings widely available. Um, and our last meeting was attended by um, around 150 people or so. We had um, lots of folks come and show up. And we, we did a celebration and a huge thank you to all of our volunteers who came out. Um, we did a, because we've had an extraordinary upturn in interest in volunteering, we've made, let people know um, all the things that our local committee does. Uh, but the other thing that we want to do is that we had a huge number of first-time voters in 2016, uh, record-breaking, record number of people voted. And what we want to do is plan for engaging them, not come the spring, but even in the winter, January and February, going to the doors of first-time voters, knocking on their door, thanking them for voting, um, asking them what issues are important to them, and then asking them to please commit to voting for 2017, because in these off-year elections, and in Virginia we have off-off year elections, <laughs> um, we want to make sure everyone's committed. And one of the best ways to do that is to get other volunteers to go out and knock on the vo voters' doors and ask them to do and commit to doing so. How do you uh, kind of put your finger on the pulse of the Arlington Democratic base? Well, so um, there is, of course, big data and medium data and small data <laughs> and anecdotal data and God forbid us ignoring the anecdotal data again. Yeah. Um, but we make sure that we collect uh, information in every way that we can. Um, so we do collect um, great stories. Um, we do have issue identifiers in our um, online um, acti voter activation network, the VAN, uh, which is through the DNC that then has deals with the state party that then we have a deal with our local party um, has it. So we have that information and we're able to enter in um, into the van um, on the voter side, every issue that's important, on the volunteer side, issues as well as um, in an inventory of what interest and talents that people have. So everything if they are interested in cooking, to graphic design, to door knocking, to voter registration, we've got uh, like 19 different volunteer interests that we can go and create a uh, portrait of everyone that's uh, volunteered with our uh, with our committee. What are kind of the issues that uh, you think motivate people in the, the the down down ballot races? You know the the stuff that you have to get people to care about. <laughs> so the thing is, in in Arlington um, and in Virginia uh, writ large, 
Every election is so different than the other. Um, in 2015, the big issue was uh, affordable housing. Uh, it made me very, uh, very proud to see that affordable housing was an issue that we defended um, and our candidates ran on and won on uh, for county board and won by a large margin. Um, defending the importance of uh, protecting the middle class and allowing, making sure that Arlington is an inclusive community, not just in terms of race and ethnicity and language and religion, but also income, and that we do what we can to make sure that there's uh, um, that affordable housing is preserved. Um, but as we look toward 2017, we're looking toward a, uh, a gubernatorial election, and uh, with the with the governor's election. Um, issues of education and transportation are of huge importance and we want to make sure that um, you know we are uh, well defined on that issue that uh, four years ago Governor McAuliffe ran on reducing testing in Virginia and he delivered and reducing um, by five the number of standardized tests in Virginia so as a teacher that's very important to me but it's also just it's best educational uh, practice to get away from a kind of rote factory-style uh, assembly line of education to much more creative and critical thinking um, type of education. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure we're in front of that, and we want to make sure that we're in front on uh, transportation, on taking on the huge gridlock problems that we have in Northern yeah. Virginia, um, and that you know we can't just pave our way out of every problem and making sure that we're in front of that. So as a local committee, um, you know, we may take resolutions on a number of different issues, but I would say the most important role we're going to have to play early in the um, uh, 2017 cycle is that we have a primary for lieutenant governor, and we will host at least one debate between the two announced candidates, uh, Justin Fairfax and Gene Rossi, for lieutenant governor, uh, where we, uh, we open it up to our members to ask any questions that they want to ask. Of, of our uh, of our candidates and likewise we will have either a county board caucus or primary that's still yet to be determined and for school board we will have a, a caucus and so we will have debates for those local issues too because at the at the local level and at, before we have our nominees we want to make sure that we open it up for voters questions and concerns to be uh, front and center for um, those uh, seeking our nomination to um, or our endorsement uh, to have those candidates answer and meet those concerns. And so you'll you'll undertake that process before and, and then make endorsements from those or will you let the primary uh, play out and come up with the nominee? We let the, yeah, we let the primary uh, play out how it will, um, but we did for like uh, the county board in 2016 where we had a uh, very vigorous uh, primary challenge to uh, our incumbent uh, county board chair, uh, Libby Garvey. She had a very vigorous county board challenge from um, Eric Gushalt, but we held Five local primary debates, you know, and, and we did, you know, we did nothing. We make no endorsement. We just stay. We, we let um, everyone. Uh, we let both candidates put all their events up on our website and make sure that people know that these are happening. And we let voters ask the questions. But um, when so it comes, you try to act act as like an information clearinghouse, just a resource that people can count on exactly to get the information. And as a local party chair, I see it as my role to absolutely stay out of um, endorsing um, any candidate. I think it's imperative. That I play an equal arbiter, you know, uh, umpire role in the primary process. And the day after the primary is over, full in behind the, whoever the nominee is. So. Well, actually, I think that's another uh, kind of good transition because I wanted to talk about um, the special election yes. that is that is uh, coming up to kind of make some of these activities very concrete. Sure. Um, do you want to go ahead and kind of uh, set the scene for us and and, and explain to to folks why? Uh, why, why this kind of special race with its low turnout, why it's really important, the, the kind of marginal uh, difference that 
somebody who is being active and engaging can make? So right now there is a um, there is a special election in the uh, 22nd district, and that's the Republican-held Senate seat, um, and it's kind of um, it's in uh, rural Virginia, outside Richmond. Um, but we got a, we got a real chance at winning it because we have a great candidate, and um, in special elections, just a few hundred votes can sometimes make all the difference between a win or a loss. Mm -hmm. So what we will do as a local party is that we will host um, we'll, we'll host phone banks in, in Arlington and make sure that we're calling. Um, into this area to make sure we do whatever we can to let people know, to educate voters, you have an election here that can make a real big difference in the, uh, the General Assembly and uh, the direction that uh, Virginia is going to go over the next few years. So it, it is crucial. Special elections can sometimes make all the difference in the world. Um, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, was almost, uh, almost didn't happen when Ted, when Ted Kennedy's seat was lost. And, um, in early 2010. So special elections can be critical. Mm -hmm. um, and in this one, it so happens that um, the Virginia State Senate is now 21 to 19. The Republicans have the advantage. If Democrats were to pick up one Republican seat, it would be 2020. And with the lieutenant governor's raise, uh, seat, we would have the majority and therefore be able to greatly influence the budget and also um, environmental policies and the whole gamut of education transportation um, so winning those seats can be crucial um, and we already now have our Democratic nominee in that there was uh, there was a primary held and um, a guy named Ryan Washington was the victor in that one there was also two other seats another state Senate seat and a House of Delegates seat but um, and, and, and this yeah. seat was opened up because there oh, was a... Great, yeah, great point. Um, all three seats were opened up because uh, members of the General Assembly won seats to the U.S. Congress. So those seats are now open. So I'd like to change a little bit and talk about uh, your background and, you know, kind of your personal experience with uh, civic engagement and how you became the, the chairman of the Arlington County Democrats. Um, so sure. what kind of... What do you think motivated you to be engaged in uh, local political activities? Well, I knew that um, I had a huge interest, uh, lifelong interest in history. Um, and it's not a far jump from history to politics. Um, but really, um, in Virginia, in 2005, um, when Bush won re-election, and I heard um, Karl Rove and the Republicans the next day bragging about, well, we just outworked the Democrats. We out-hustled them. We knocked on more doors. I had to ask myself, well, what did I do to make a difference? And the answer was, in 2004, I didn't do much of anything. And I said, you know, I cannot, with a good conscience, let another election go by where I don't do something to go out and try and elect uh, people who share my values. And so since 2004, starting with 2005, I've been involved in races locally uh, through uh, lo in local politics and state politics uh, and national politics ever since. Um, as a precinct captain for eight years, um, which is uh, making sure that I organize um, voters and volunteers in a neighborhood in a, a polling precinct. Um, and I did that in South Arlington for eight years. Then I was an area chair chair of precinct operations, and in 2014 I got elected chair of the committee. Um, and all, all throughout the uh, consistent position I've had has been 
that I want to make a difference. I want to elect people who share my values, that believe that government can do some good, that government can make this world a little bit better than we found it um, by um, promoting the general welfare, by taking care of the environment, by helping people who uh, don't have the means to do what they want to succeed. So I really think electing people that share those values is critical rather than people who just want to give themselves a tax cut. Can you kind of like make a pitch about why, why should people engage with local parties um, you know, when they see them so far removed from the national kind of politics and what people see in the headlines? Um, well, the first reason is that if you care about something, um, it's going to make you feel better rather than scrolling through Twitter or <laughs> reading a paper or watching the news um, to go and take action on it. To go and, and political parties are one of the best ways to do that. Um, and we see this, if you care about income inequality, if you care about raising wages, if you care about jobs, if you care about unions, um, if you care about the environment, electing people who share those views is of critical importance, whether that is at the county level, city level, state level, or national level. It is absolutely critical to elect people to do that. And when you do that, when you're true to yourself and you go out there and you get involved for issues that you care about uh, through a political party, you're going to meet other people who feel the same way. And some folks are going to disappoint you. Sometimes you're going to disappoint yourself. But more often than not, you'll get a real sense of satisfaction and meaning by going out and struggling um, for a cause you believe in. And just sometimes, you're granted a measure of success that you never would have thought possible. So the special election that Kip was discussing, uh, the Virginia State Senate race in District 22, Democrat Ryan Washington lost to Republican Mark Peake. But Virginia is an off-year election state, so there's going to be plenty of chances for people to get more involved in Virginia politics coming up. This week's call to action is go to your local party or check out your local chapter of Indivisible. If you've been watching CNN, you might have seen that some of these guys have been starting to make noise at congressional town halls, which is uh, what we like to see, people getting involved at the grassroots level. All right, everyone, uh, thanks for listening to our first show. We uh, wanted to say a few thank yous for the folks who helped us out. Obviously, thank you to Dave and Kip for agreeing to be our guinea pigs in interviews. Thank you to our friends Corey Benevente for some uh, excellent intro and outro music, and our friend Anupam Chakravarti for the clever graphic. And also thank you to Puff Pieces for allowing us to use their cool song Mindhead in the middle. As promised, we will have resources for local activism in our show notes, yep. uh, specifically related to parties. Yep. And yeah, we want to be sure that uh, folks who listen to the show uh, that you are able to. Uh, plug in to your local political party. If you're listening to the show, you probably are already interested in political activism in some way. We want to be sure that in addition to building the people power outside on the streets, that we're also impacting uh, the formal channels of power. Um, and you can find that on our page at medium.com slash square one. That's S-Q-U-A-R and then let the, the letter one. <laughs> That's letter one. Yeah. <laughs> and please follow us on Twitter at S-Q-U-A-R-E one show. <laughs> That's Square One Show on Twitter and Square One on Medium. And uh, thanks. All right. Listen next time. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye.